This is Application Paranoia, Season 2, Episode 2. Welcome again to Application Paranoia, our podcast about application security, DevSecOps, and AppScan. This is our normal foray into the world of all things application security. And with me, as always, I have Rob Cuddy and Chris Stewart. Hey, Rob, how are you? Hey, Colin, it's great to be here. Doing doing really well. Having a good time here. Um, and what's what's been happening in in your neck of the woods? Oh, it's been actually uh, exciting. I spent a good portion of yesterday working with my son who's interested in getting a car and he was uh, able to get his first car and title in his name last night. So that was pretty fun going through all of that. Just uh, passing stuff on to the next generation. <laughs> As oil changes and tire rotations and all that <laughs> nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Let me well, show that... you how to change brakes. You pay someone. Yeah, and then how to ask about warranties and what the heck as is really means. Oh, man, I hope he starts getting those calls about your extended warranty. (laughs) Exactly. Chase him down when he's shopping at Target. (laughs) Have you got past the part where you teach them to drive? Have you you done that? Have we gotten through that hurdle? (laughs) Yes. That's that's the scary one, really, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. Here's a car, no license. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a 3,000 pound death machine if you're not careful. But, uh, and Chris, yeah, how, are, how, are you, how are you doing, Chris? Oh, we're uh, we're fixing to have about a foot and a half of snow here pretty soon today. So this ought to be interesting. Uh, for me, I've been following a story pretty closely that came from Reddit. I'm sure folks out there have heard about it. Uh, the GameStop stocks and the, them taking on a hedge fund that tried to short the stock. It's insane. Yes. Absolutely insane is like massive amount of people trying to buy stock. They're not able to. <laughs> Brokerage firms are shutting them down. It's like, oh my god, what's going on? So fun to watch, though. <laughs> but they're, but they're now this morning I heard they were, they were buying silver. Silver's the way yeah, to go now. Supposedly, it? <laughs> it's like it's a whole misinformation campaign everywhere. It's like, I don't even know what to believe anymore. It's crazy. Like, like a bunch of bunch of pirates buying silver. You know? Yeah. No, <laughs> They claim that, but if you go to the Reddit, there's nothing about silver beyond don't buy silver. They're trying to get you to go away from these two stuff. It's crazy. There's like a whole propaganda campaign on both sides going on right now. Yeah. Well, and it's Reddit and it's the Robin Hood stuff, right? Yeah. You're getting caught in the middle and... Um, yeah, it's fascinating though, but I mean, it just, it speaks volumes to what happens when people organize, right? Good or bad. And yeah. also, yeah, I mean, this is the information age. I think we're yeah. evolutionizing ourselves out of industrial age into the information age. This is, might be the first realization of the revolution coming. I mean, everything <laughs> has got to be changed at this point. Information has just been democratized for the most part. Well, yeah. 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 And, and people, people figured it out, right? I mean, yeah. I, I was following it as well and was fascinated by the notion that, uh, you know, they, they got excited about realizing so many people had shorted GameStop, right? And that that had that was due last Friday, if I remember right. And so yeah, yeah. the fact that that information is publicly available and then they could take advantage of it and they what they basically realized was, hey, if we drive the stock price up a lot, <laughs> these guys who bet on it going down are going to lose a lot because eventually you got to buy the stock. So <laughs> it was and nine uh, times out of 10, they don't even care about right. making money. They're doing it. Was, it was it's like the so, meme generation is taking over nonsense. <laughs> but it's this whole, it's this whole world of options trading and stuff. Right. And then, yeah, it's, it was crazy, but following it, it's a, uh, but you think about it, man, we have all these different things now, right. That are happening because people are just sharing that information and, and getting it out there. So yeah, it's mad. It's, and it wasn't it's just mad. GameStop, right. I think it was AMC was another one. And there were like yep. three or four others that I heard that were in there and, and uh, yeah, so this is not investment of... advice, people. Yes, <laughs> make your own choices to your own due diligence. Yes, we're just talking about the the fact that this all went down. <laughs> yeah, d- d- don't listen to us at all. No. Yeah, don't listen to us for investment. Past advice. podcast success is not indicative of future <laughs> turns, right? Yes. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, invest invest in AppSec, your application <laughs> security. There you yes. go. That's, that's our investment advice. That's a solid investment. There you go. 
And our guests today are Kavya Perlman and Thomas Henning from the XR Safety Initiative. And the XR Safety Initiative is a 501c3 worldwide not-for-profit organization promoting privacy, security, and ethics in immersive environments like virtual reality, mixed reality, and augmented reality. And their mission is to help build safe and inclusive experiences so that XR stakeholders are able to make informed decisions. Kavya is an award-winning cybersecurity professional with a deep interest in immersive and emerging technologies. She's constantly exploring new technologies to solve current cybersecurity challenges, and she's one of the top 50 speakers in cybersecurity and was recently named the 2020 Cybersecurity Woman and Cybersecurity Professional of the Year by Cybersecurity Excellence Award Series, as well as the most influential cybersecurity leader of 2020 by Acquisition International. Tomas is an instinctive and meticulous and forward-thinking security professional with years of leadership experience that's created a passion for implementing effective cybersecurity programs, best practices, strategies, and technologies via a combination of exceptional thought leadership and innovative directions. Uh, Tomas has held various roles in security disciplines and is also actively involved in gaming communities like Minecraft, as well as YouTube, Twitch, and Mixer helping content creators. So, Kavya, Tomas, we are so glad to have you guys here with us today. How are things going in your worlds? Thank you for having us. Things are going well. Things are always fun in, in today's world. Kavya, how are things going with you? Well, things are looking good. There is a new incoming administration, so I'm looking forward to, you know, things changing towards the scientific pursuit of truth and knowledge. So I feel really excited as we are speaking. Excellent. So, Kavya, tell us a little bit just about XRSI and kind of, you, you know, we mentioned having this mission around helping make people make safe and inclusive experiences. But how do you get your start in this? And, and what are some of the things that you're doing today? Sure. I have to go back to, especially, especially when we talk about immersive environments, I have a lot of different uh, experiences back in the days in 2007 to almost 2012. I was a hairstylist. And then, <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, it was a very interesting, uh, different form of life. And then I read a book, Cyber War, changed my life, um, went to college for master's in network security, moved to California after I graduated from DePaul University. That's when I worked for a corporate immigration law firm before I joined the mass over at Facebook, doing third-party security for, uh, for Facebook. And that was a time I remember clearly where my workstation was, I don't know, Tomas, if you remember, it was right next to Oculus, uh, the very first Oculus that was placed. And I felt very curious and always wanted to check it out, but I felt like a bit intimidated at the same time. So that curiosity and the sense of intimidation got me like, okay, I really got to get into it. So a few demos, I was like, wow, this is a fascinating world. And then after I left Facebook, it was a consulting position. I joined Linden Lab which uh, some of you may know is uh, the maker of Second Life, the oldest existing virtual world. And they were going through some really interesting time. Uh, of course, they rolled out a virtual reality platform called Sansar. And at the same time, they were moving you know, their Second Life infrastructure to cloud. And so imagine moving a 16 years or legacy infrastructure over to the cloud with that kind of complication. It was very, very interesting and good experience for me. And then, so when I left Linden Lab, that's when I started XR Safety Initiative and everything that I had learned, this native knowledge from Second Life, Linden Lab, and this overall virtual reality two economies that I had the privilege to protect and, you know, maintain compliance for, it all came in handy. Now I know that all the same problems that I was talking about over at Linden, they apply to virtual worlds um, for the industry. And I got the head start to, you know, then start building safe environment. And then pretty soon it occurred to me that it's not just about safety because you know these technologies can create some massive digital divide. It can create a lot of harm, unintended consequences uh, for minorities and you know children. And so the part of you know creating inclusion was of course became part of the mission. Wow. That yeah. I mean that there's a lot there. <laughs> there is a lot. There. That is really cool. I'm very curious though about just the the second life experience that you had and just being a part of that. Um, you know, because that was really new 
at the time, right? And this whole idea of virtual world. So uh, what was the biggest experience that you took from that, that you're, that you're now using today? Well, the fact that people didn't quite understand the intricacies of the technology that goes in the background. So with Second Life, because it was, it is the oldest existing virtual currency and they had to comply with so many international as well as all the 50 states regulations. And then during my time, GDPR had come about, it was 2018. So that made things very, very interesting as well. And I think that was one of the biggest challenges to adopt compliance and all these different frameworks that we had to deal with. And every time a regulator or an auditor came about, the first thing they said is like, I don't know anything, you should teach us because that was the reality. And that is so consistent with the world that we are dealing with today is most of the lawmakers, auditors, and sometimes even the developers, they do not comprehend or understand the intricacies, the implications, and the unintended consequences that these technologies bring along with it. And so, uh, let alone, you know, how to deal with them. And that's why I find myself in sort of a privileged position to have this experience, to be able to guide the industry and help them navigate these very uncharted territories of VR, AR, and, you know, overall virtual worlds. Something I'm dying to find out about, um, but in the, in the VR world, it's people pretending to be, you know, people. Uh, so I'm curious, we have regular hacking, you know, cross-site scripting, SQL injection, all that nonsense. Uh, but do we have like social hacking going on in these kinds of environments, like Ponzi schemes in Second Life and stuff like that? Is that a concern wow. that we have to go after? I'm just curious, I'm dying to know. <laughs> like is the human condition hacking, if you will. But when you talk about, you know, the hacking and the social engineering and cyber political engineering, it's all the same but more that is because, wild yeah because virtual worlds allow you to be anything and anyone and then that is a great evasion for you know any malicious attacker so it's a it's a much much harder of the challenge to tackle those issues in VR or in virtual worlds. And I'd say Tomas has the first hand knowledge because you know he's been in gaming and all so that very experience now applies to all the virtual reality domain. Yeah. So, so to, to add a little bit on, on top of Kavya's answer, and, and you got to take a look at how we how we as humans consume information, and we we're very visual uh, society. We believe what we see, and now you're transposing your 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 mind into a virtual world where you're experiencing whatever someone else envisioned and and imagined. You're experiencing that. So that means that if I'm being nefarious, I, then visually I can socially engineer you and you will believe it. And, and that means grooming becomes a lot, a lot easier. All of these problems that, that in, in real life have been a lot harder because you, you're you. It's really hard for you to actually be someone else unless you're really, really good at, good at uh, makeup and all of that stuff, right? Or, or, or coursing other people. But in virtual worlds, you can be whoever you want to be. Mm -hmm. and, and you can pretend to be whoever you want to be. You can use voice changers. You can use many different technologies in order to pretend to be someone else and start a whole chain of events, which I'm pretty sure not a lot of people have actually thought through of the consequences of those that, that can lead into, as you mentioned, Ponzi schemes or worse, grooming behavior or or other safety uh, problems that I know with XRSI we've been looking into, especially with the child safety. You know, like impersonating famous people or pretending to be famous people and misbehaving, that sort of thing I imagine could be a problem too. That's in my mind, just the tip of the iceberg. There are more fun, like that, that is something that I would, would categorize into more of the mischievous bucket of pretending to be a celebrity just for, just for a prank or something of that nature. But imagine taking that a world where deep fakes are, are, are now becoming a, a big deal and, and getting down into the root of like, fundamentally you as a human will not be able to decide what's real versus what's not because of the sophistication of either the, that misinformation campaign or what I would call the long con has been ongoing so long that you actually believed a lie, right? Because it's yeah. been, the, the misinformation has been disseminated for so long, especially in the VR world, 
utilizing that that construct that you believe what you see that that you just can't tell what's real versus what's not real anymore. how do you even begin to protect yourself from that nonsense biometric links to your avatar or some nonsense <laughs> a trusted system like uh what is it bitcoin uses to make sure you're you oh my goodness so caveat i i know you and i discussed this a little bit and i would be curious to hear your, your thoughts on like digital identity, like at, at the end of the day, the real way to solve for this is digital identity and bringing yourself and your, your digital identity from the real world into the digital world. What are your thoughts? I completely agree. And uh, this is a very good question to even raise because we are struggling with this, with the recent Facebook's policy around, you know, combining your real world identity, so-called Facebook identity, which they, you know, you demanded to be real world identity with the virtual identity in the name of safety and security. And I kind of advocate for it, but the only part that I'm not, I'm wary of is all of that data and identity in the hands of Facebook. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the only concern, but otherwise, I mean, digital identity is the only way we're going to be able to manage what is coming for us. The way I suppose we can potentially solve this is by having some sort of a decentralized mechanism, something that does not depend on any walled garden. Otherwise, what we saw just recently with you know January 6th, well, one thing is the data that, that is behind all these you know activities or social media and stuff, it's limited to an organization. So if you want to do any mitigation analysis, you constantly depend on that organization. I mean, think about election interference or influence. We depended on a particular organization or all these other social media entities, and that should not be the case. We should be able to, as you know, um, be able to independently mitigate or investigate these things. And there are other issues with that. So I, I'm all for digital identities. Uh, in fact, this is the only way we're going to get ahead of these things and keep this uh, wild, wild west of virtual world somewhat organized and managed. Yeah, then you, you've got fallout from that too, where people say, no, no, I don't want you knowing everything about me because what if you get my access to my stuff, my person, and you impersonate me and do you know, bad stuff that I wouldn't have done, but how can I prove it now? So there's a, I mean, that's a huge slippery slope, I imagine we're going to be running into, but yeah, we need something. But there are models already that, that have actually proven to work. Uh, Estonia has implemented uh, e-citizenship and e-possibilities for their citizens and, and residents to to have an online identity that is equivalent of their hand signature in such a way that to a certain extent is decentralized, but it's also trusted by, by both citizens and the government to help with this particular identity problem. Will that necessarily be the, the all-in-all uh, all all solution? Maybe, maybe not. There's definitely a room for blockchain and, and for similar technologies to help with the online online identity problem, but there needs to be a very, very solid foundation that allows a human to represent themselves digitally and all of their different aliases. The big thing to keep in mind from a safety perspective, especially in the AR, VR world, is a lot of people will not want to be themselves. They will want to choose an alias for, for safety reasons. They want to go by pseudonym uh, just so they can do whatever they want because that's the way gaming works right. and that's the way these online environments work but you need to be able to tie that back to to a person at one point and and finding that balance and on how you can do that is is definitely a big topic to think through yeah trust comes into play big big time like trust is the determining factor of the success of these virtual worlds because when we talk about identity but let's say i let's say i am pretending or representing some somebody pretending to be someone else uh, well with vr and you know tamas actually introduced xrsi to this idea you know initial conversations about biometrically inferred data that we are calling now but you know during the early stages of xrsi this is exactly when we first met, we were all trying to wrap our heads around and then Tomas brought up this 
whole another idea of like all the data, the metadata, like, you know, the, just like, you know, with the typing strokes, you can now determine who is who with VR, there is so much inference that can be made to attribute that this is actually Kavya, no matter what kind of avatar that she has. So when that happens, it all then comes down to who is the owner or who is this platform owner? And then can we trust them with that kind of sophisticated data? Just to just to help and more to help um, our listeners to a certain extent, um, I, in your world, there's lots of acronyms that are probably new to people. So can you maybe just help us demystify what is XR, what is VR, what is AR and MR and how are they different from each other? Yeah, so XR is this umbrella term that is collectively used for extended reality. So various forms of reality, uh, be it be virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. And when we talk about virtual reality, it is it's essentially this digital, uh, digitally created virtual world. It, you know, it's entirely soft coded in software. And some people confuse it with, you know, the 360 degree video. So when, when, when I talk about VR, I'm mostly referring to not the 360 degree video that you can create, you know, capture using a 360 degree camera. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about is something that you code like a gaming environment, but be able to immerse yourself completely in that environment as if you're really there and use these head mounted goggles to experience that immersion. So that's VR. And then, you know, augmented reality, I believe everyone is sort of familiar with that. Mm -hmm. They may not know, but Snapchat filters Face, FaceTime, yep. Facebook, uh, you know, all these filters are all... <laughs> Pokemon Go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Pokemon Go, so, yes. Hey, that was exactly. a ring for a while there. <laughs> exactly. So yes. the digital overlay on top of our perceived reality is what we call the augmented reality. And then there is the other aspect, mixed reality. So imagine if you could like put on a VR headset and manipulate a real world environment, let's say operate a forklift. So now you're taking this immersive environment and using digital, you know, HMD, but you're manipulating reality. So that's kind of like this mixed reality that's going on. So all of these uh, things are, you know, present interesting challenges. And that's what, you know, that, that's what, that's what makes me, makes me very excited and that's where we first started because you're right people don't quite understand all these soup of acronyms and yeah. we had to standardize them and define them up until we did people just literally constantly went into this word of wars what do we call it should we call it uh stimulated should we call it all kinds of realities so hopefully this xr or you know whatever else comes next what what really matters here is this common understanding of technology so we can focus on innovation rather than fighting over these words and stuff and and xrsi is what it, it's some sort of standard that's that's used on top of that is it so xrsi is the xr safety initiative and that's just the name of the organization. However, you know, very, very, re very, in the very near future, we are going to launch, you know, potentially some badging and rating system for privacy. So we are listed at ANSI as the standard developing organization. So this is a first XR dedicated SDO. And that's cool. our goal is to standardize these things, not just the taxonomy, but, you know, privacy frameworks, safety frameworks works. What about uh, application security specific frameworks? So all of that comes into play. And that's what our goal is uh, to create this brand XRSI and provide people this sort of a trust mechanism so they can adopt that to ensure and to feel that, okay, this, this particular aspect of technology is trusted and validated by XRSI standards. So we're in the process of making that happen. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, and I think on top of that, Kavya, you guys recently had your version one, if I remember right, of that privacy framework that's out there, and you're currently 
looking for folks to help build out the next generation of that. Is that That's correct. And in fact, on the 14th of January, we had a we had an excellent kickoff meeting. Uh, about 600 mm-hmm. multidisciplinary folks expressed interest in further developing this privacy framework, which when we talked to the legal folks, they actually told us to change it into privacy and safety framework. So that's going to help us potentially standardize things that are not. And we're taking into account things that have never been taken into account, um, especially under the leadership of uh, Tomas. Uh, uh, I, you know, sort of became aware of uh, risks related to child safety. And then, you know, the uh, mm-hmm. harm that happens, because in VR, you can't unsee things. Once you've seen something, you can't unsee. And so you have to kind of get ahead of this. So you have to really proactively mitigate things rather than manage it afterwards. So preventing harm, content moderation, all of these things are part of this framework and just a remarkable set of like people from all over the globe. I mean, I think the only continent that was missing on that call was uh, Antarctica. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and there are people there. (laughs) So I am so glad though that you mentioned um, the child safety thing because, you know, as we were talking a few minutes ago, was thinking of my own son who's now 18 but watching him through his teen years one of his favorite activities was was um watching other people play games right and it, so he would go to youtube and watch videos of people playing minecraft right and and learning how to do that and then going and trying to do it himself um and then of course we're all familiar with fortnite right and what happened when when ninja and juju schuster decided to get together that day and take over the whole thing and um all of the craziness that goes on there so you know parents obviously want their kids to be excited and and be engaged and all of these other things but there's this whole other dynamic now where children are getting influenced by what they're seeing other people doing in these virtual worlds. So I'm curious, what would you say to parents to help them sort of navigate this with their kids and, and help their kids be a little bit safer about as they engage with these things? Um, I, I think that's an excellent question. And, and I think that the number one piece of advice that I would give to any particular parent is do your research and immerse yourself into the same world yourself to try to understand the environment that your kids are really trying to understand. Try watching YouTube, try, try watching Twitch streamers, ask your children what, what is interesting about, about what, what that, that is all about and have a really, really open mind about it. And don't just shut it down that, that this just seems not fun or stupid or, or, or whatnot. Try to really understand the conversation, the, the community, the people that are forming around either a content creator or a joke or, or what's going on. Because if you manage to really understand the vibe, the, the content, the, the people and, and the game, the, the environment itself, you'll have a better respect towards what could go wrong. And that could actually help you understand how to filter out toxic behavior within communities or talk openly with your children about the things that could could go wrong in those areas, inform them about and let them experience those things. But with that safety net below them that you're there as a parent that really well understands what can happen versus what cannot happen. But in reality, there's a lot of things, especially, for example, in, in the AR, VR world, that even we who, who we consider ourselves experts just don't know how it can play out. So what do we tell parents when we don't even know ourselves? What is the worst case that could happen? And, and for that, I would actually say, keep up with, with the latest literature that is out there. And Kavya, do you mind speaking to some of the things that we just recently put out in December in terms of like the literature so they know where parents, they know where to go and what to do. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a great opportunity. So second week of December, XR Safety Initiative declared a XR Safety Awareness Week. So every year, second week of December, we would continue to celebrate and advocate for it to be a global phenomenon where we take a moment, a week at least, to reflect on all these unintended consequences. And more specifically during this time, Tomas and uh, Marietta Malini from Gamer Safer and a couple of other folks came together and launched this XR safety initiative under the leadership of Tomas. And that's when we curated a lot of these resources and pushed them out via 
getting into xr.com as well as readyhacker1.com which is our media platform there are some infographics you know the really amazing thing is people that i have the honor and opportunity to work with such as another really remarkable person tim stifler dean they really think about these things deeply so they even came up with captain cuddle as an avatar to try to create that sort of a <laughs> yes. reach towards that demographics so curating knowledge but in sort of a relatable form uh curating knowledge for parents curating knowledge for kids like what should kids think about and how can how can we reach the kids and explain to them in a sort of a very fun way that what are the safety considerations without having to be like don't do this don't do that cuz that doesn't work with kids uh you know if you say don't do this they're going right. to turn around and do right the very same thing yeah those are those are some of the things that we put out in december and now you know this year is going to be very very interesting for child safety initiative by xrsi cuz all of these things that we have been anticipating for a while are now coming front and center with like 1.8 billion kids online and people really moving towards virtual worlds non-expensive headsets are becoming available so kids are in there and parents don't know whether kids can be in there what is the appropriate age there's just lack of guidance so we have this opportunity but at the same time a massive challenge to educate the community and put these guidelines and standards out there yeah very much so and and do you think that the necessity of schools and you know universities across the globe having to go to a distance learning model do you see that kind of intersecting with this as well or are educators trying to use virtual worlds oh, in the classroom yeah there has been uh, research that suggests that when you are immersed in virtual environments the level of uh, absorption or the level of retention of knowledge is uh, somewhere around 76 to 95% in some cases which in a traditional manner is more like 5 to 25% only so so there's a huge like a you know the research backs up the fact that vr is the way to go even if you actually you know i'm taking a class these days you know i i take it in the european time zone because i couldn't make it to the to amsterdam where the class is taking place but at night i'm 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 literally taking that you know zoom calls in vr because it just it, it, and and i feel the impact i'm just much more focused and it just has a much deeper impact on my psyche when i'm fully immersed even though it's just i'm looking at 2d uh, screen but i'm in vr so i don't have these distractions around me i'm not like you know when we talk about cognitive load like things that you're looking at your surroundings they just filter out and you're you're just so focused on the only thing that is playing in front of you and that alone is yeah. uh, you know pretty good and then you can obviously take that to another level where you recreate the entire world that you're going to see in a way that it actually perpetuates learning that absolutely vr and uh, all these remote learning they're intersecting in some ways i see that more and more we are going to start leaning more towards vr ar for learning i have to say that's a great name Red, ready hacker one i am i i i'm a great fan of the book ready player one you know um, so it's yeah. I, yeah. i do like i do like the sort of connection that that that's very cool yeah. I I remember when uh, Ready Player One had uh, just uh, you know just the talk of it and uh, I remember uh, Steven Spielberg actually paid a visit to the lab uh yeah. before the movie was you know all out and the news of it was all out and uh, right then and there I was like you know if people are going to just think about playing and all there is going to be hackers so ready player one i literally like on the very day i booked the domain and i sat on it for a while and thought about Brilliant. what is it going to be and then i've met the right people and there there we have it it's a you know amazing uh, media platform in the making i just wonder if you can tell us a little bit about how you've seen artificial intelligence impact um normal application development and development life cycles and that kind of thing yeah but back back in some of my application security roles uh, the interesting thing that i did in one of my roles was i was a cybersecurity strategist for this application security organization it was it was very interesting to see how you can use artificial intelligence for adversarial use 
for, you know, actually creating attacks using uh, machine learning algorithms and models and, or very simply just, you know, data analysis or signature analysis. And because, you know, in back in my days, uh, we had to uh, scan through so much of logs and scan all the data. And now you yeah. can kind of defer that to artificial intelligence, machine learning algorithms. And that's, that's, that comes in handy, but it also, you know, in this emerging space brings it, its own risks. And that's the exciting part. You get to keep up with all of that, but then you also keep thinking about what could be the bad side of this whole technology, which is so cool and exciting. It's the machine learning side that, that is an interesting topic for me, just because we deal with a lot of, you know, a lot of information when we run our products. And it's, it's really how you get through that and get to the effective bits of information. So, you know, the innovation in that space is good. And I know, Chris, you, you, you can probably talk for hours on, on the topic. You know, um, it, it's always good to get an insight from other people who worked in that space as well. You know? Yeah, and it has evolved rapidly too, because even when uh, I was working for that particular organization, uh, the adversarial aspect was not that developed, but it has completely changed now. Uh, we mm -hmm. have a lot more use cases of uh, those type of adversarial AI, attacks that you can carry out using machine learning algorithms, uh, and uh, it's it's become... Uh, really fascinating how fast and explosive the whole domain is uh, growing. I, I think the challenge that I'm still going to put out for this particular domain is while all of these sophisticated attacks are absolutely something that the industry needs to really think about, I think we also need to take a look at all the fundamentals in application security that are actually not being taken seriously. And SolarWinds yeah. just, uh, just proved that yep. in a software supply chain yep. that at the end of the day, companies do not take software supply chain as seriously as they should. And Kavya, if you remember some of the challenges that we've had, even at Facebook running third-party security and, and doing the, the, the web of, of your third parties, fourth parties, fifth and sixth parties, and getting a really, really good sense of the, the threat landscape of what is going on going on with your vendors is one thing, but also then how does that evolve into software? When you're starting to pull in open source technologies, when, when you're doing a uh, name squatting on repos is a predominant issue, or you don't even know whether one of your, your suppliers have actually been compromised because they don't operate and they don't have healthy security practices at all, you may inevitably be compromised without even noticing that. So what are going to be the changes within the industry where something as, as such a simple attack as software supply chain actually managed to compromise so many different mm -hmm. companies. So the, the challenge that I put out there to everyone is like, think through your software supply chain. We've solved it for hardware because it's, it's a solvable thing for hardware, but how do we solve it for software? in such a way that it's scalable for any particular organization and they know they can trust any supplier that they choose to buy software from. Yeah, absolutely. And as you were thinking about that, uh, Tomas, and talking about it, the, the one other area that really comes to mind for me in that space, um, and, and not just because I'm getting a little older, the notion of, of how this intersects with the medical community. Right. So we've started to see, you know, on television shows and some of these other things, right, people sort of interacting with virtual models of a human heart or trying to get images. Um, but but this is a, an exciting space for sure. Right. Of, of giving visibility into the human body and how all of that works. But um, I imagine the challenges there are immense. And then how does that intersect with things like HIPAA and, you know, personal, uh, who owns the images, right? All of those kinds of questions. Um, and, and, you know, recently I, I, I had a bike accident last April and just trying to get the x-rays and the MRIs and everything else, you know, just so that I could, you know, see those mm -hmm. and turn those over to somebody was, was an act of, uh, of God. <laughs> so it, it's definitely a fascinating area because at the end of the day, you have to take a look at it with the lens of accuracy matters is the same problem as you had with an aircraft where every single small thing needs to be accounted for and you need to really know the, the origin of that small component and that that component works because it's life or death. 
at the end of the day. Right. The same thing applies in the medical field as well. And if there is a pixel shading issue within your, your X-ray, or there's a screen issue on how that pixel is represented on your IPS display is incorrect, that could actually lead to a wrong mm -hmm. diagnosis, right? And could literally be a life or death issue. So as we expand the, the medical community to start embracing a lot more of AR and VR, and as we're starting to, to pull in a lot more of these modern technologies, how do we still maintain that world of integrity where that single pixel, that, that single bit of data that could actually mean life or death for someone is not manipulated, is correctly represented. It's, it's not subject to attacks through weird channels. And how does that physician know that they can trust the tools that have been given to them? Because the mindset that we all got to be in is technology is nothing but a tool. The decision maker is still the human. The moment we change that mindset where the tool becomes the decision maker, something has gone wrong. We mm -hmm. still need to ensure that humans, people, experts are making these decisions and we enable them with more and more and more tools, but we need them to trust the tools that, we've been, that has been given to them. So why it's been so difficult for you to actually get your X-ray and MRI and all of those is primarily because a lot of the, the underlying tech, like, like the, the, the files themselves that you get, have a lot of fault tolerance uh, and correction built into them to make sure that that accuracy can be represented. And now the question is like, how do you push that forward? And, and how do you do that in a, a privacy-centric way in such a way that I'm not going to say HIPAA is perfect. HIPAA needs to evolve. A lot of current regulation needs to evolve with technology, but doing it in such a way that you, you still maintain that accuracy and you still maintain that, that mindset that, hey, like all of these are tools, modern tools that help people make decisions. Yeah, because that's that's going to be the, the, the big thing, right, is the insight that comes and then, okay, making that decision on a course of treatment or anything else, um, and then the liability that, that goes with that, you know, going in there. I mean, we're going through this with my, my daughter in that she's now a junior in college, and so, you know, she has to own her own health decisions and decide when to go to the health center and stuff like that, and that's just the tip of that iceberg. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited about the work that you guys are doing here and, and the difference that that can make. Exactly. And, and, and I want to point out the, uh, another effort or the program that we have is the medical XR advisory council. Mm -hmm. And that's their entire mission is to sort of inform FDA, CDC, WHO, and all these other global entities, NHS. In fact, one of our partners is uh, Health Education England, NHS, that uh, do, you know, workforce development training because of the 2020 entirely it was pandemic they were not able to allow clinicians to be on the floor but yet they want to facilitate training so they used uh, you know virtual reality and mixed reality like hololens and uh, other trusted uh, set of hardware to to create a clinical floor where you literally can almost be there in that, uh, you know, sort of environment and see what the doctor is doing. It's definitely used massively for training. Mm -hmm. But when, when we move to that sort of a world, just recently, eye socket surgery was performed using AR glasses. There are more and more, you know, surgeries that are being done using these immersive uh, technology tools. We have to ask, what if that tool malfunctions? Um, what if, uh, you know, and then these tools have the potential to, let's say, calm your anxiety, it takes in, you know, all these EKG, EEG, all kinds of biometric data. And then what happens uh, if it makes the schizophrenia mm. worse, for example, mm. and, it's a, it, and it's a therapeutic environment. So, so you're right about that, Rob, uh, the liability is something that we still don't understand. And, and, and that's why, you know, we have Blue Cross Blue Shield and all these other insurance organization reaching out to XRSI to try to wrap their head around as to, you know, the, first of all, who's going to be insuring these technologies? Because, uh, you know, do, do they, do, is it the insurance provider or how do they even go about doing that? And what are their liabilities? And then, of course, there is a whole plethora of patient data. I mean, we only, via HIPAA, 
regulate and protect PII and PHI, which is, you know, personal identifiable information and personal health information. But we have to go beyond that because all of these other metadata uh, that, you know, Tomas had helped us standardize this biometrically inferred data, that is now in the hands of people who don't quite understand uh, or how to protect the data or are not really giving an emphasis because some of these CEOs, they're from the Mm -hmm. gaming background or they, they don't quite understand the medical domain. And that's where the medical XR advisory council from XRSI, we help healthcare organizations and all other stakeholders to identify, mitigate, and then prevent these very specific cybersecurity, privacy, and all these other related threats that come along with these devices, the technology platforms and processes like people themselves need to be educated about how to use this stuff. I mean, just think about pandemic, it raised a whole lot Mm -hmm. of thing about hygiene and these devices, Mm -hmm. then, you know, you have to think about how do you sanitize these devices? What are the clear standards of sanitization, especially that is acceptable on the clinic floor. So all of these interesting things are something that XRSI's medical uh, XR advisory council is closely looking at and constantly curating knowledge so that we can help these other massive entities that need help uh, understanding and navigating this domain. So it's a it's a very interesting work that you guys do. It's a whole new world that we're going to be coming into pretty soon. And Ready Player One kind of gives you a little sniff of what that's going to actually look like and be like. I don't think it'll be quite that wild. It might be more wild. Who knows? Uh, but for those, those who are interested in what XRSI does and how it all works and what the the future might hold for them. Uh, How do they get a hold of y'all? How do they look at what your mission statement is, what it is you you folks get involved in, all of that business? Sure. So we are at www.xrsi.org. And so it depends on, you know, uh, who you are. So if you're a government and a regulator, uh, we undertake grants and different projects. Uh, So, and we advise regulators for their policy decisions. And we mostly try to influence the policy decisions. So it is well thought through as to what is to come. So anybody can go to www.xrsi.org or just email us at info at xrsi.org. Private entities, organizations such as Facebook itself, Facebook Reality Lab, and a bunch of other organizations that I don't have the privilege to talk about, but you can imagine the big tech companies that are hmm. tabling into a you know uh, augmented reality and virtual reality space. They are you know also interested in learning and uh, understanding how to standardize this space. Individual stakeholders, just like I said, in December we did this uh, XR Safety Awareness Week. So www.gettingintoxr.com. All of this knowledge is curated there so you can kind of you know awareness is the key at the moment because not not a lot of people actually understand that it's not just the ready player one scenario we're going way way beyond that where we're using the very technologies to actually heal people opioid crisis and in fact it's going to be one of our recommendations to the incoming administration we're curating and just uh, you know just about to send that out to uh, you know the biden administration the xrsi recommendations and that includes uh, you know usage of these technologies to combat pain and uh, specific, more specifically, opioid crisis and things things of that nature. So people people just you know mass uh, mass public they just don't know yet. But just like you know technology these days, it explodes, and that's what we anticipate is by the time that it will get to a point that mass adoption happens, we would be already so far behind if we don't start to regulate and understand and standardize these things. So we gotta start. start now and that way universities you know they are helping us contribute knowledge as well as well as students and stuff so I encourage everybody to you know at the very minimum stay aware of what is coming for us and uh, if you are in this domain then of course you can donate to XRSI we are a nonprofit 501c3 so you can you know enjoy some tax benefit there but most importantly help help us build this and you know standardize this domain as it needs to be because bad things uh, could happen and would happen just like it with every technology you know there is a good and the bad so we got we got to keep up with it 
And and absolutely, we are better together. So we absolutely echo uh, visit xrsi.org and donate if you can. The work these guys are doing is absolutely tremendous um, and impacts all of us. And so, uh, and if you get the chance to sit in on a webinar, Kavi, I, I really enjoyed the one that you did in mid-December around contributing to the privacy framework and, and was astonished that that was done in a virtual world. Um, and it was amazing the difference that made uh, just being the engagement and seeing the attention to detail and things that were going on in there. Um, avatars with beards, I thought that was awesome. So <laughs> it was amazing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. well, we have been so delighted to have you with us. We could talk for hours about this um, and really, really enjoyed the insight that you've provided, the work that you're doing, the contribution that's making to humanity. Um, so we are really grateful for that. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, our guests have been Kavya and Thomas, and we are super excited. Um, look forward to what's coming next. And uh, Kavya and Thomas, any closing thoughts? Thank you for having us. I really, really enjoyed uh, the opportunity to have this conversation and really looking forward to what's coming next. Thank you. Yeah, and and uh, for me, I feel that this is a milestone. And now we can switch our mode to scientific pursuit of knowledge. So what I feel like it is time for all of us, especially in the United States, to serve our country by now actually pursuing knowledge and doing research and fixing things and using science to you know, defeat this pandemic, using science to build technologies like ARBR that will help us heal in a, you know, in a very optimized and effective manner. So I just encourage everybody to, you know, this is a perfect time to get into STEM and pursue anything technology related to fix problems that the entire country and the world is facing. Thank you. Pre appreciate you joining us. It's, 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 it's been a wonderful conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. So, so that interview was 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 fantastic. Um, I, we've reached another end of another another episode. Our next episode will will be an odd one, and on our odd episodes, we're going to focus in on app, application security again and AppScan, and we'll probably have another fine topic. But we'll be back for episode three very soon. So, thanks for listening, and thanks for joining me, Chris and Rob. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having. Thanks for having us. Stay mm -hmm. safe.